Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, a film critic and Meg March stan. And I'm Ned Baker, a filmmaker and the sad little rich boy who lived next door and was raised <laughs> by artists and vagrants in Italy. Oh, in a theater? Um, the way this podcast works is that Ned and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor that we love. This is the second installment of my pick, which is Christian Bale. Last week, we looked at uh, Christian's breakthrough debut as a leading man in American Psycho. But this week, Ned, we are going to zoom back in time. We're going to catch up on all the stuff we skipped over last week, which is Christian's early career. And specifically, we're going to look at his performance as Laurie in Gillian Armstrong's 1994 big screen adaptation of Little Women. Uh, now, Ned, I have to admit, I feel like this entire podcast has just been a long con for me to talk to you about Little Women for as long as I wanted. You're now my... <laughs> You're my little women hostage. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay so I, get ready. I'm ready. I, I've been got. Let's, let's yes. do this. This is all my trap is working perfectly. Uh, the the Louisa May Alcott novel is one of just my most cherished books. This 94 adaptation I have seen more times than I can count. So I'm very excited to dig into all of this with you. But first, I have a question for you because mm-hmm. I have this theory that everyone's personality can be summed up as like a hybrid combo of two of the March sisters. So Ned, I want to know of Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, which two of them do you think that you are? Gosh. Uh, Okay, that's interesting. I think I might be a Beth Meg. Whoa. Does that surprise you? It was not what I was expecting for you i guess i could be maybe a meg that's pretty demure maybe a beth joe oh you're right they're right there is there is some outlandishness to me that doesn't really so maybe a beth joe is more accurate yeah Um, beth joe i think that i have certainly some uh soft and sensitive and uh easily intimidated tendencies which are Mm -hmm. very very beth Uh, beth is my favorite of the little women and we can discuss more but I do also, I think, have some of the um, messy gregariousness of Joe and uh, the uh, tendency to make rash hair decisions. Mm, yeah, that is a cornerstone of Joe's personality. I was going <laughs> to think, I was thinking, and I hope you take this as a compliment because that's how I mean it, but I was actually thinking you're a Beth Amy. I might be a Beth Amy. I might be a Beth Amy. I, yeah. Beth, I feel like, is right, though. I feel like the impulse to go for Beth in there mm-hmm. is correct. What do you think I am? Ooh, let's see. I think I think you might be a Meg Joe. That's what I would classify myself as. Oh, good. Well, we know each other there. We're, we're linked in. Yeah. So clearly, we have a lot of Little Women to discuss in depth. But first, I want to give us a little bit more sort of context for Christian Bale's early career. I love to take anything I do and make it feel like homework just to recapture my glory days of being a high school student. So I've I've dug into Christian's past for us. He is born January 1974. His name is Christian Charles Philip Bale, which I have to imagine is to the royal family. Charles Philip, like that feels just like purposeful to me. Solid. Yeah, I wonder what his- A solid uh, British name. What his parents feel, thoughts on royalty. 
would be. I am his parents. So his mom was a former circus performer. What? His dad. Yeah. His dad is sort of this jack of all trades uh, who goes on to be Christian's manager and is briefly married to Gloria Steinem. Did you know this fact? I did. For a brief amount of time when Christian was an adult already, Gloria Steinem was his stepmom. Wow. Just celebrity facts. Thanksgiving have been like over at their house. Truly, truly. Um, So Christian gets into acting when he's just a kid. He does some commercials and uh, some British sort of TV movies and miniseries. He's in a West End play, but his big break comes when he's just 12 years old and Steven Spielberg casts him in the leading role in his 1987 film Empire of the Sun, which is about this wealthy British kid living in Shanghai who becomes a prisoner of war in a Japanese internment camp during World War II. And I feel like the fact that Christian is a former child star is sort of weirdly not part of his acting persona anymore. He sort of has that Nicholas Holt thing where he so successfully transitioned into adult roles that we have just forgotten where he started. Do you think of him as a former child star? Have you ever seen Empire of the Sun? No, I've never seen Empire of the Sun. Um, it's interesting that, that you know, specifically use the adjective like wealthy to describe him because I'm noticing that trend in some of his characters. Mm. He seems to play these sort of tortured, yeah. privileged people. Um, I, I guess he, I, I guess after Batman came out, I probably had some viewing of Henry V where I was like, hey, look, it's young Batman. He's got a tiny, tiny part in Henry V, yeah. but, but I've never seen Empire of the Sun. And no, I, I certainly don't really think of him as a child actor. I do think of him as a having a former teen. Yeah, I don't know if heartthrob is the right word, but maybe kind of that uh, phase. That he started young, but not as a kid. Exactly. I have I watched Empire of the Sun back in, I talked about last week, my high school obsession with Christian Bale, where I was, you know, really trying to go through all of his movies. I haven't seen it since then. I remember his performance being really good, like as a child performance. Mm -hmm. I mean, Steven Spielberg is famously great at picking picking child actors. And I remember this being one of them. His main, like, acting co-star is John Malkovich. So that's just like a fascinating way to kick off your career. And it's so funny that now, like, it's funny to think that Christian Bale was... He was working as a kid with Steven Spielberg, but I feel like now if he, it would not be weird now that Christian Bale would star in a Steven Spielberg movie as an adult. Like, it's so funny how now there would be more like contemporaries. Yeah. He sort of found him as a child. Yeah. Yeah. This is just me processing human, uh, like, growth, I think, (laughs) how aging works. Yes. Um, Okay. So he does Empire of the Sun. And I think sort of, and you got it, you mentioned this before about his youth roles. I think a lot of his career... It's always like a reaction to the thing that came before. Like, he's a child star. He grows up to this teen heartthrob thing. As we talked about last week with American Psycho, he sort of rejects the teen heartthrob thing for mm. a lot a, of his career. An adult creepo. Yeah, to be a very serious adult actor. So Christian's parents divorce when he's 17 years old. And he moves with his dad to L.A. at that point and really full commits like, I think drops out of school or, does, you know, does, various people had told him at, at times, you know, you should go to college in addition to trying to be an actor. But he and his dad really commit to the acting thing. And this is when he gets into this phase of his career where he's really playing, like, romantic leads in period pieces that are sort of aimed at, like, a young adult audience. So on the more dramatic end of the spectrum, he's in something like this uh, 1993 movie called Swing Kids, which is about German teens sort of at the start of World War II who go to underground swing dancing clubs but they're also getting 
like sucked into the Hitler Youth Program. Wow. Um, yeah, I have seen this too. I don't remember it super strongly, but I feel like it was maybe a little bit aiming for like a dead poet society energy. Mm-hmm. So that's the more serious end. On the much, much lighter end, he's in Newsies, which is Disney's attempt to sort of revive the movie, the live action movie musical after the success of The Little Mermaid. Newsies completely bombs both critically and financially at the time of its release. But I think it has gone on to be this complete cult classic for theater kids everywhere. So as a former theater kid or current theater kid, Ned, was Newsies a part of your high school theater kid experience? Oh, yeah, definitely. To, yes. And to the extent that I, I didn't realize that it was not that successful because it's mm-hmm. it seems to be pretty – there's pretty much a, a consensus, it seems, a popular consensus of adoring Newsies. I mean, I'm sure there are dissenters out there. And I have my I have my criticisms with the, uh, the third act of Newsies, which I think is a little too talky. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it definitely is, is – I think beloved and the music is so fucking catchy. The music is so good. It was I think its reputation has only grown cuz within the past I don't know maybe 5 or so maybe longer years it was adapted for Broadway and mm-hmm. that Broadway musical version was super super successful and obviously the movie has just been reclaimed. We used to have in my thespian troupe 191 oh. which I was the president of we used to have of um course. like thespian movie nights and we would watch newsies my friends and I I this is like a an area of my life I just, I have no idea the line between when I love something sincerely and when I love something ironically. Yeah. And Newsies is the perfect example where, am I liking this in a like making fun of it way? Am I liking this in an I just genuinely like it way? I have absolutely no idea. But my friends and I, we would watch this all the time to the point that for graduation gifts for my two best friends in high school, I bought bootleg DVDs back before... I'm sure this is now just streaming on YouTube, but some of the supporting cast members in Newsies made this little short horror film on the set of Newsies. And the premise of it is that there's a murderer going around killing the cast of Newsies. It's called Blood Drips Heavily on Newsies Square. I'm sure it's just now streaming on YouTube somewhere. But back in the day, I literally like went online, found someone that was selling bootleg DVDs of this and purchased copies for myself and my two best friends for our graduation gift so i'm so deep into newsies that i've seen you know the you've seen blood drips heavily on newsies square multiple times uh, yeah multiple times what a title good lord I love it's pretty that. fun it really shows off their little it's mostly the supporting cast but like you know like christians in one little quick scene and Let's they kind of get the main players to do a little bit here and there well the supporting cast is so good i mean crutchy and kid blink and all that you know those there's they're, yeah they're a spock oh of course what a what a character. Newsies don't sell papes. Headlines don't sell papes. Newsies sell papes. Yeah. I think it's an interesting, it's got an interesting energy because it's one of the most, I don't know, maybe we want to unpack this idea, but it's an extremely masculine musical. And that's 100%. in the, the sound and the choreography and the energy. I mean, I think of these like the stomping, like fist shaking choreo they do in some of these numbers. It was incorporating this really masculine energy which is something to Mm -hmm. examine throughout christian bale's career i mean we got into this a little bit last week uh with his relationship to masculinity and method acting and intensity and there's something there but it makes him a really good choice to Mm -hmm. helm that sort of to helm that movie and to and to be the leader of that sort of movement because it feels like it's uh it's these kids having to 
try to meet force from above from grown-ups with their own force and it's a very fists and kicking and rolling in the dirt yeah i think christian has a sort of interesting relationship with newsies i think he signed on thinking it was going to be more of a serious drama and maybe it was initial initially conceptualized less like maybe not as a musical at all Hmm. and then after the success of little mermaid they sort of pivot it so i think he Mm. i think it was maybe not exactly what he wanted to be doing yeah although now he seems to have i feel like there was a period of time where he didn't want to talk about it at all but now as an adult he can sort of you know cheekily acknowledge it and and um yeah, I don't know. It, it's like a weird, it's still weird. It's so funny for this guy that is so known for serious method acting to just have this like totally buoyant movie musical. Yeah, you know, he's in his doing repertoire. solo dance numbers, you know? Yeah. That's, oh my God. It's the really something. dance numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's so, he's so good at it. I, I mean, I understand there are things that I did in my teens that I am uncomfortable talking about. And then later on, I just get comfortable with them. Um, well, but that's the thing, too. It's like his career has been, I think I said this last week, but he started so young. He really, his whole life has just been, A, his whole life has been recorded, you know, in all of these mm-hmm. films. And then obviously his life has just been so strange. I think any child actor, when you've been working and presumably earning a lot of money for your family since you were little, that must give you just such a strange perspective on the world. It's 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 wild to me when any child actor emerges psychologically okay right and i guess that's the question maybe hanging over did he entirely (laughs) did he entirely who knows so but before before we get into intense method acting Mm -hmm. um we have i would what i would say is the pinnacle of this sort of romantic leading man phase of his career which is little women and as much as newsies and and you know, in its way, and American Psycho in its way, and then obviously Batman in a big way introduced Christian Bale to a lot of people. I think that his take on Laurie is also a very formative introduction for a certain generation and probably a certain generation of women in particular. Yeah. I feel like one of the the interesting conversations to emerge out of the Greta Gerwig Little Women adaptation that came out in 2019 is that there's like a big gender divide around Little Women and that I think a lot of girls are encouraged to engage with it in maybe a way that that um, boys aren't in their childhood. And Ned, I don't want to blow up your spot here, but I was very charmed when this 2019 adaptation came out that you told me that you and some of your friends were sort of trying to course correct this imbalance a little bit of little women knowledge. Oh, the the feminist, late bloomers, a male feminist yeah. book club you referred yeah. to. Yeah. That was uh, a secret. I, I call it your fight club book club because you told me that one of the rules of the feminist book club was I guess you're breaking it now, but that you couldn't tell people about the feminist book club. Okay, it wasn't a rule that we couldn't tell people <laughs> exactly. It was, I think we said, I think we formed this male feminist book club and then said, let's not make the first thing we do here to post on uh, post on Instagram, like, chilling with the bros, discussing feminism, we are. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't want to make a please big like thing our, about it. Yeah. yeah, please like, please clap. Um, please clap for us feminists. <laughs> but uh but it is it is sort of lapsed now. We, I mean, we read about six to eight books, all I mean, of which that's were pretty good for oh, any book club. I think to go oh, yeah. six to eight books. Not every book club I've been a part of has gone that long. Um, some really good ones: Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino. I loved uh, the Argonauts. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, we read Little Women. The, most of the things we read were sort of recommended to us by our, you know, partners, wives, girlfriends, and you know, women friends. Um, and one of them was us getting into this divide of of 
almost every, to be maybe hyperbolic about it, almost every woman I know read Little Women or at least saw the movie as a kid. Mm-hmm. And almost none of the men I know saw yeah. it. It is, uh, and, and, or certainly read it. Um, and and it, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a one-way divide because I feel like women don't shy away from media that is created for men as much because of this double standard where media for men is media for everybody mm-hmm. because most the most mainstream media is going to be produced to satisfy men. And then media for women is sort of sectioned off as like chick flicks and chick lit. So, um, so yeah, that we, not, I, almost none of us had read it before. It's, it's lovely. So yeah, I came yeah, to I Little Women. I was going to ask what you, oh, what I you thought love it. of it. I love yeah. it. It's so, it's so digestible and fun and it just sort of meanders it's through so their gentle. lives. It's gentle. Yeah. It's like the gentlest story. <laughs> that's right. That's ever been written. Like they go to the beach. They have a sort of a weird social interaction, but they come out okay. They learn some things. Their mom gives them some wisdom. Yeah. This is what I mean. So I read the book for the fr- I just somehow I have known Little Women as a thing way before I read the book. I think I actually had a little series of novels that were almost like reimagining it was like here's a little meg story and here's a little joe story and mm. when i was in elementary school i went to a little community theater program and we put on a little adaptation of little women and i was meg which i'm still very proud of yes uh, i love meg i feel like i'm a big meg defender and then i actually read the book in high school and just absolutely love the book i think it captures it's just such a small scale normal look at childhood and youth among these four girls mm-hmm. and there's just it ca- there's one chapter where Amy is supposed to have a little stand at an art fair and she has sort of the most prominent stand but there's this little petty rivalry with one of her friends so she ends up getting kicked off the the nice little art stand she was supposed to have and put in the corner and She's like gutted by this, but she's also super polite. So she's like, it's okay. I like, I'll just take the other stand. And then her friend that was the rival feels bad that she made her friend feel bad. And it's just, I'm like, that was that feeling of just, that was such a, those little feelings are such a big part of your life, but I feel like they are not often written about. And this whole book is just digging into the little stuff that most books skip over. And I think that that's why it, this story is just so, it sticks with people so much because it captures something that, maybe not a lot of literature or or sort of mainstream literature like that captures. Yes, it doesn't jump right to sort of life and death stakes, nor does it have, in a way that I think serves it as a book, but makes it hard to adapt for a movie, nor does it have one real through line in a way that most things have to have a sort of a a well-made, like inciting incident, rising action. It sort of goes into these little incidents and... If there's a through line, it's that everybody is slowly, all the little women and, and their, you know, sort of uh, social world, everybody's sort of developing emotionally the whole time mm-hmm. and learning, learning new things and learning lessons. But uh, but it's all these, I mean, the little vignettes of it works really well. I forget, I don't know if it was published serially. 
It was published in two halves. So Louisa May Alcott, the first half of the book is basically a year in the life. It's like from a Christmas to a Christmas. That's the part that most people are familiar with. It's like the dad's off at war. They're meeting Laurie for the first time. Their little lives. I think I think that was like 1868, if I remember from what I from what I looked up. Um, And then even the, the end of that book. The last line is like, and the curtain falls on the little women. Will we see them again? I don't know. If you buy this book enough, then maybe (laughs) we'll write a part two. Because Louisa May Alcott, to quote the great Apple TV show Dickinson, was all about that hustle. And so (laughs) she definitely wrote this book for very much mainstream consumption. And then the second part two is the messier part that honestly a lot of adaptations either reduce or a lot of times they just skip over it entirely. And that's set three years after the first part. It's Meg's often married. Joe sort of figuring out what she wants to do. She goes off to New York um, to work as like a sort of governess for a while. Beth is just getting sick and dying. And then Amy is, spoiler alert, and then Amy is off in Europe and eventually falls in love with Lori. And what's interesting about the book, and I think a lot of people wouldn't know this if you hadn't read the book, but the book is really very equally split between all four girls. Each yes. chapter is sort of it's all it's all written in third person, but each chapter is is more from the perspective of one of the girls. So it's like here's Meg going to a, you know, a debutante ball and here's Joe, you know, whatever doing something with Lori and here's Amy like I said ha- at the art fair or whatever. Um most movie adaptations focus more on Joe, like it feels like Joe is the protagonist and then her sisters are sort of the supporting characters and especially in the second half, a lot of adaptations really zero in on Joe in New York. And in a way, I think like the the book of Little Women and the cultural conception of Little Women are are actually kind of two separate things in that I think the book is less gumption filled, go get them, be a writer, really, you know, modern feminist. I think that's often the story we associate with Little Women. And I sort of think the book is like gentle, how to be a good moral person in the world yeah. told through four different perspectives where it's not as much of a like go get them arc it's just sort of like this is how life is yeah and like how to process your burdens i just feel like it's all yeah it's all about like this is how to bear with the challenges that life gives you and sometimes sometimes it's just to kind of like take it quietly in stride it's very christian as well very you christian Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. And it's very, I think Louisa May Alcott, in some ways, Little Women is autobiographical in that she had basically the dynamic of the March sisters is the dynamic of her family. So she's sort of writing that. But she's also taking her sort of like harsh life experiences that experiences and filtering them into this gentler domestic drama. So it wasn't that her dad was away at war. It was sort of that her dad was part of this weird transcendentalist cult that on the one hand had really good values like abolition and teaching women, but on the other hand was had all of these weird concepts of rules that were like, we can't eat any vegetable that grows downward so we can't have like potatoes so the whole family was basically starving in the winter because they couldn't eat this food and and there were rules about what you could wear so it was like you couldn't wear certain fabrics that would actually keep you warm and so the the way the family was suffering was not because the dad was going off and doing something noble it was because the dad was kind of this kooky guy who was not taking care of them but i think you know louise mailcott writes this novel where you get the sense of an absent dad, but in a completely different way. Oh, man, the 19th century was wild. 
truly wild. And actually, one th- interesting thing about this specific um, 94 adaptation is they take a lot of elements from the real Louise May Alcott's life and weave it into Joe's story, yeah. which in a different way, the 2019 version does too. But Joe in this version mentions her parents are transcendentalist, which yeah. is that movement Louise May Alcott's dad is part of. But in the actual novel, that's not mentioned as, as something they're engaging in. They talk about um, the March family not wanting to buy silk because it's milled in the South and they're anti-slavery, which again is like a real life value of the Alcott's, but not something that she put into the novel. No. So I think that that's an interesting way to sort of, it was an interesting adaptation choice to weave back in a little more of the overt like feminism, social justice realm of the real Alcott that she, you know, for whatever reason didn't put into the novel, maybe because she did thought it wouldn't, you know, sell as well. Yeah. Or, or maybe because she just didn't want to <laughs> explore yeah. those parts of her family. But yeah, I, I do think, yeah. yeah, I have, I have mixed feelings about that decision that the, that both adaptations do to kind of say like, well, Joe is just Louisa May Alpott. Joe, Joe's writing Little Women. Just, it's Little Women. Little Women is about her and it's this reality cycle. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's another thing that in the actual Little Women, the first Little Women, it was published in two volumes. Now they're always mm-hmm. sold together, part one and part two. Um, it, all, all adaptations end with Joe writing Little Women, which does not actually happen in the book. Yeah. She sort of, in the book, she she doesn't give up on writing, but she sort of takes a break from it. She gets married to Professor Bear, and she's like, you know, I never became the famous author I wanted to be, but there's still hope I can still do it in the future. And the movie, the book is sort of like, none of the women exactly achieved their dreams that they had when they were children, but they're all happy with the paths that they found anyway. But almost all adaptations... They want it to be like, and she can have it all. She gets the guy and she publishes the novel about her life. And then the the 2019 Greta Gerwig one kind of does a more meta exploration of maybe she publishes the novel but doesn't get the guy kind of a thing. Yeah. Or, yeah, I was unclear on what was what they were trying to do there. I saw the 2019 one in theaters when it came out and when I was in the book club. Um, I didn't see the 1994 film until last night. Uh, oh my god, I'm so excited to talk to you yeah. <laughs> about this. I'll tell you that the first half of it definitely did not uh, elevate my estimation of the 2019 film, especially oh. of its necessity. I was like, what new was brought to this? The second half is where they both kind of have to make their mark a little bit, and they yeah. both do diverge from the book. And that is, I think, part of a, again, a Hollywood sensibility of wanting it to kind of build to some triumph or just to some summation mm-hmm. as opposed to, I don't know, it would be very weird to see a movie where it's like, in the end, they just kept doing those things that they had been doing <laughs> until they stopped. And that was the end of the story. Uh, yeah, it so needs I, a little more of a climax. Yeah, but an it, exclamation it does point. involve moving away from some things that I enjoy. I, I think that the the focus on the relationship with Professor Bear in the 94 film is understandable, but not as interesting to me Hmm. as the sort of more balanced look at all of them that they had done. We, we, you notice in the second half of the film, you start to get much longer two person dialogue scenes than you had in the first half, because the first half I think was trying to, hit a lot of these different events. And the second half is really just investing in this relationship, which I is a relationship that I understandably have mixed feelings about. <laughs> so the way I have such an interesting relationship to little women and that to me, it's like the, 
the novel and sort of the version of Little Women that lives in my head is Little Women. And every adaptation I'm interested in mostly as an act of adaptation. I think adaptation is something I'm really, I don't know, that's something I'm really intrigued by. And so to me, every time I engage with a version of Little Women, of which there are many, it's like, ooh, this gets Amy right, but it doesn't quite get Lori right. And like, oh, this is the best Beth I've ever seen. And ooh, this is such an interesting choice of this. So I, to me, there is not, there could never be too much Little Women. Like I... (laughs) Especially around the uh, time of the Gerwig's release when Little Women was so much back in the zeitgeist. I really dove in with all of it. So I reread the book. There are there are two earlier adaptations before the 94 adaptation that I had never seen. There's a 1933 one starring Katherine Hepburn as Joe that I think is really, really good. I had, wow. I was really impressed by that one. She's a great, maybe the best Joe. Hmm. Love her Joe. Um, there's a 1949 one that is weirdly the same script as the 33 one so almost a direct remake but it's in color huh so that was sort of their big yeah <laughs> move was this is in color that one is probably my least favorite um there's obviously this 94 adaptation there's a 2005 musical version that starred sutton foster as joe in the original cast mm. that again there are elements of it that i don't like i think that one gets laurie absolutely wrong but it's the best beth joe I've ever seen and I oh. uh, and a really good bear Joe relationship. So I really love that version as well. There's a 2017 miniseries that stars Maya Hawk, Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter, now an actress in her own right as wow. Joe that I also really enjoyed and then obviously there's the 2019 Greta Gerwig. So like the best week of my life was just consuming all of these adaptations in a row. Yeah, the, well, the breadth of your knowledge of Little Women adaptations is in a completely different class of my own. So you but well, but you discussion. haven't read the book, which I do think a lot of people have not done, but are still massive Little Women fans. I think that people yeah. come at this from so many different perspectives, but all feel such ownership over the story, too. So I think all Little Women levels of knowledge. There's no gatekeeping in my Little Women fandom. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. That's a That's a spirit we need to embrace and hold on to. Yeah. And I'm wondering if... There's going to be a sort of millennial Gen Z divide between people who think of like when they think of Little Women, they think of the 94 version. And when they think of Little Women, they think of the 2019 version. I really love the 2019 version, too. I think I think as a film, it's probably my favorite Little Women and my favorite Little Women adaptation. But I think in my heart, in my millennial heart, I the 94 version, if I have to think of an adaptation, is always going to be the one I go to first. This was a big high school movie for me, similar to Newsies, actually. I feel like the first couple times I saw this, I actually didn't really like it that much. (laughs) And yet I watched it so many times over the years that now it's just become this like nostalgic cozy blanket for me and I almost don't even process it as a film which is why I'm so glad you're here and that this is your first time watching it because I sort of need to be checked on (laughs) like I have no filter for what in this movie is good and what is just familiar to me yeah so I really I am I'm intrigued to hear what somebody who watched this with fresh eyes sort of made of this whole you know thing let's see should I just should I just say what I think of the whole yeah, movie? Yeah, give me a little more of your... You gave me some that you liked. The the first half you felt was a little bit less original. But what's your sort of overall take? Uh, like, would you say this was a good movie? Yes, I would say this is a good movie. 
Um, I have some of that 90s, I have some of that nostalgic feeling just about 90s films. They just have a look and feel and sound and texture that to me feels like childhood. So even though I hadn't seen this since childhood, it just feels like one of those homey mid 90s movies. It's intensely cozy. I think the chemistry between all the sisters is great. I think Marmy is fucking rad. I love (laughs) Susan Sarandon in this. She is a sassy marmy. Oh, she's, I think she's perfect. I think she's so good. They uh, make her, it's, marmy is an interesting character to track in the adaptations too, because she ha, she goes from the gentlest, you know, of characters to like, this marmy is pretty, I think they give marmy a lot of the sort of feminist Louisa May Alcott philosophies do. of like, one of Louisa May Alcott's big things. Do you like how I asked you to talk about Little Women and then I immediately found a way to just, just jump back to me talking about facts about Little Women? Well, at the beginning of the podcast, you did say that's what we would be doing today. Uh, yeah, so. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm being Joe now. There was, but my one fun fact is that Little Women was very big into women running because at the time it was sort of like women should always be in home and resting and sort of like not being active. And her thing was, like, women need to be active. And so she would just go for, like, long runs in the woods in her, like, long skirts. Yeah. And so they, even in this adaptation, they give Marmy some things about women should be running around and they shouldn't be in corsets. And a lot of that is Louise May Alcott stuff. Yeah. I think it works really well. It makes her really strong. She's kind of functions as, I don't know, the rational center of the movie because everyone mm-hmm. around her is still growing. And she's just got this clear head on her shoulders and is speaking a lot of... You know, like we would say, yeah, wow, that's that's some rad, you know, 19th century proto-feminism. We love mm-hmm. to hear it. Um, I do really uh, – it's, it's speaking of adaptation, it is it is hard to not miss something when – it's one of the things you really latched on to in the books. And one of the things I really latched on to in the book is uh, Marmy's discussion of – her like anger management issues. Mm, mm, Ned, you're speaking my language. When they're like, you are so, I could never be as patient Mm -hmm. and gentle as Marmy. And she's like, I have had to work. This was my burden. I have had to put in so much mindful energy and growth. And I still have to be extremely active in managing the fact that I want to react with anger, but I've made the decision not to live my life that way. Yeah. I think it's so cool and so interesting to see in in, you know, a hundred and fifty year old book. So they didn't put that in, but that that's okay. That's okay. The Which other they thing, do really well in the twenty nineteen yeah, I, I, version, that little does, exchange. Yeah, I forgot about that. I do want to say before you make your second point. So that part in the novel, it's basically Joe talking about like she's so angry and she can't control it sometimes and she doesn't know what to do. That to me so I probably read this book when I was like 14, 15. Genu- this sounds crazy to say, but like I, I knew that I got angry. I genuinely did not know that like other girls got angry because it's just not something you see. You maybe see petty jealousies or like little snipings, but like even now, like I will sometimes just get like fume, like so angry. I think I'm a very angry person. And the idea that other people felt that way, I just genuinely did not know that until I read Little Women. And I heard Joe be like, I'm angry and I can't control it. And I, and that is frustrating to me. So that to me is like, was such a big part of what made me connect to this book. As much as I love Meg and like connected to a lot of elements of Meg as like the older responsible sister, there was also this like Joe anger that just felt, I don't know. It was like that moment of like, you get glasses and you see the leaves on the trees. Like, oh, I didn't know that this existed until I read Little Women. So very important to me as like, a teenager and I guess an adult <laughs> processing yeah. my 
anger issues. Yeah. It's really powerful to have that sort of uh, explored and represented there. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of my favorite things of the book is that Beth runs a doll hospital and yeah. well, I just, I think, I mean, Beth is, is my, I love Beth so much. I think she's so great in the book. I love, love her friendship with Mr. Lawrence that she sort of develops where she's so afraid of him and she's going over there. So that's something else that I want more of yeah. in the adaptation. completely cut. It's completely cut from this, and that's that's a shame. Except until he appears for the almost the first time and yeah. gives her a piano, which is a little like apropos of nothing. It kind of reads as like, since you're so sick, you have a piano now. It's not right. It's not. I, I think it's frankly at all. that Beth. I am still looking. It, your your description of the musical makes me want to look at that because mm-hmm. I'm still looking for that that faithful adaptation of Beth that explores how much more there is to her besides a scarlet fever victim but yeah this so here my overall thoughts on little women and i know we have not even dived into the christian bale of it all yet for our christian bale themed podcast allegedly we're only talking about beth um for my overall take on 94 little women i like this joe i don't know if she's my ultimate joe but i'm really happy with winona writer joe I don't like this Meg at all. I think this is a bad take on Meg. <gasps> what? I oh. hate this version of Beth. I think I know a lot of people really love this Claire Danes Beth, so this is a bit of a hot take. I think every nothing about Beth in this adaptation works. Hmm. I hate it. I love young Amy. I think Kiki Dunn's Kirsten Dunn's as young Amy is maybe my top Amy. Fantastic. At least my top child Amy. Yeah. Florence Pugh is probably top adult Amy. Um I like this Marmee okay. Don't know if she's my ultimate top. And then this is, and part of why I picked this, this is my ultimate Lori. Okay. Like, number one with a bullet, <laughs> Lori. All six Lori's that you've seen, mm-hmm. All the other five fall behind Christian Bale for you. 100%. Which maybe is worth pointing out, as much as we're talking about this as like a feminist masterpiece I will acknowledge we've taken a movie with like five or six female leads and chosen to look at it through the perspective of a supporting male character, which is problematic. I apologize. There are so many. Obviously, we I, Little Women is a franchise I would love. A franchise is a is a story I would love to revisit in its adaptation. So when we do a Catherine Hepburn, I'd love to look at the 33 version. Sure. When we do a Florence Pugh miniseries, I'd love to look at the 2019 version. Ooh, but to Pugh. me, She'd be good, yeah, yeah. She would be good, actually, even though she's... We'll wait till Black Widow comes out. Mm. Um, to me, this... Christian Bale as Laurie is one of my top five favorite performances of his in particular. So I feel like, to me, if we're doing a Christian Bale miniseries, I could not put this one in. Mm-hmm. And this, I'm very... This is where I really have no perspective. Like, I don't know if this is a performance I latch on to strongly, so strongly just because I saw it at the right age or if this is a performance that actually works. So I'm very curious what your take is on, is this a performance that stood out to you? Did you like this performance? Great question. Um, does it does it work? I think it absolutely works. I think it gets at some of the interesting turmoil that is inside of Lori without making a huge thing of it. I think he's an interesting character because he is not just a sweet boy next door. Mm-hmm. He has 
you know, what we a might darkness. call, he has a darkness. He has what you might also call some, some unresolved and or undiagnosed mental challenges. Uh, hmm. And I, I, I just think he has a, a, a bitterness and a darkness in the way that he mm-hmm. looks around at the world. And I think, but he also is extremely sort of well-groomed for this social world. And he is always sort of seen as being someone who can, you know, charm his way around. And I think I would say that 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 would be one of the first ways I would say Christian Bale does a really good job of this is you can see him comfortably floating around this world, but also resenting it a little bit and also having a highly active inner life in moments just one of the very first moments when they're at that party hiding behind the curtain yeah the first time joe and laurie meet the first time joe and laurie meet he does this little handshake mannerism that i had to i went back and rewatched again where he kind of offers his hand and then she doesn't take it for some reason. Yep. And his eyes Meg like, has told her that shaking hands is out of fashion. That's right. And she goes to take it and then doesn't. And then his eyes like dart down and he like takes his hand away and has this little troubled Christian Bale face that mm-hmm. we see a lot more in some of his other roles, like his troubled Bruce Wayne or his troubled yeah. troubled Patrick Bateman. Um and it it's just working here as the kind of high key shy or not exactly shy but i don't know i keep coming at this phrase the inner turmoil Mm -hmm. that feels emotionally resonant for this teenage character so Mm -hmm. yeah i'd say it it works that's the first thing i would say that's good to hear i was like genuinely nervous that you would be like caroline what is wrong with you this sucks he's (laughs) terrible this is just like the most basic ass performance that i've ever seen i think that uh, the thing that adaptations can get wrong when they do Laurie and the musical is a great example of this is they just make him the charming boy next door Mm. they they just make him sort of light and kind and like yeah he gets a little upset about joe turning down the proposal but mostly he's just a nice guy to me with Laurie and what i think christian does so well is that you need to get the sense that without the influence the sort of moral influence of the marches that he has the potential to go off the rails and become kind of a bad person yeah and that even in little things this is a little more emphasized in the book but you know he will spend times like drinking and playing billiards and then joe will sort of chastise him for that and that will sort of take him out of that world and he is this sort of like rich little prince who Mm -hmm. has his stern grandfather but both of his parents are dead so he doesn't have a direct you know, parent in his life. His grandfather is not the most involved, maybe, parental figure. Um, And I just think you need to get the sense that he could become a bad person. And especially in that part in the second half where he goes to Europe and he's sort of flandering. He basically becomes like Bruce Wayne a little bit there, sort of with the little French women and drinking. That there's such a, like, a cruelty there. And a callousness. And mm-hmm. I think Christian does that so well. He really communicates this arc of Laurie's inherent goodness, but also his inherent, I don't know, like vanity and privilege and how those two things are always sort of at war and how much it is important that the marches, really all of the marches, not just the ones he's interested in dating, like all of them are sort of shaping him for the better. Yeah. 
Yeah, it does get into his, you know, the things like his relationship with Meg, which I always find to be an interesting relationship where they're totally. initially sort of set up for each other, but then that doesn't click. And then they they just have this, they just have these interesting moments together. I like that it preserved the scene at the mm-hmm. party where he chastises her and then feels bad about it. It's a great, yeah. it's a great little Lori mini arc there. And it's a great Meg mini arc as well. Um, yeah. Do you are you more you sort of reacted when I said I didn't like this Meg that much? Oh, I like her. I like her, and I I didn't have this. I like Frank. I like her more than uh, Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Yeah, I wasn't particularly taken with Emma Watson's performance, and I'm not. You know, I I enjoy Emma Watson's acting generally, but something about it. So maybe it's an adaptation question, but I I did not respond to Meg in the 2019 movie. She didn't do much for me. Mm, I do think for me it's more about the script than the performances like i think trini alvarado is the name of the lady that plays meg Mm. i think she's a fine actor i think that this adaptation leans a little with both meg and beth they lean into the endpoints of their story from the beginning i think in that meg goes on to be the very conventional maternal got a husband and two kids lady and Mm -hmm. beth goes on to be the sort of you know tragic young death to me what's interesting about those endpoints is that they're so different than when they start out like meg really really her first thing is like i want to be rich and have servants and never do any work and i'm just gonna marry a wealthy guy and i want to be fancy and beth is just like she is shy but there's like there is a life to her before she gets the first illness she's not you know i think a little bit claire danes like plays as if beth is ill before she actually gets ill in the story. Yeah. And so I don't like that those two, probably Beth more than Meg. I think I've grown to appreciate Meg more, this Meg performance a little bit more over the years. But I think that they are just, they make Meg a little too motherly at the beginning and they make Beth a little too Waifish. Ill. Yeah. Yeah, waifish. Yeah. But I do love that. I love, love, love that Meg Laurie scene, which I think Christian does so well. So the way I was the way I was thinking about this as a movie, like it was interesting on this rewatch. I was like, okay, I'm really gonna zero in on Lori's arc. And I feel like Christian and the adaptation as a whole does this really cool thing where there's like a clear chapter where it's childhood and he's meeting Joe and everything's sunny and they're playing with the sleds and he's joining the little theatrical troupe and like just being so charming and endearing. And then there's this chapter where it's like a teenagehood, mm-hmm. and that's where he's sort of like I think he adjusts his performance, like, at that party, it's, like, he is very callous. He, like, openly slut-shames Meg. Yes. It's, like, very, like, his over his sense of protectiveness has soured, and it's a very negative scene for him. And then yes. he recognizes it and apologizes. And this is when you can tell in his scenes with Joe, he's playing a little more, like, hmm, I think one day we should get married. And they're not, like, overtly saying that, but that sort of, like, there's that little segment of the movie And then from the proposal on, there's this, like, the rejected proposal on. It's sort of this, like, young adulthood. And this is when he really leans into the bitterness and has the drunken Europe scene. And, like, Christian Bale's entire physicality and body language changes. And this is something that I think I really appreciate because I have seen this movie a thousand times. Like, if you look at the scene where he and Amy are under the tree and he's drinking from the flask. And the way he's standing is this, like, very, you know, suave, caddish young man but then you compare that to the body language and like the scene where with the handshake with joe where he's so awkward and like so believably a teenager like i think his physical transformation across this film like the work he does to add to what is on the page but and and also in many ways to sort of like shape the entire arc that maybe is not given the most screen time 
that's what makes his performance so impressive to me. Even though, you know, compared to something like American Psycho, obviously he has so much less screen time. But I think what he does with his limited screen time is so effective and such smart, like full-bodied acting. Yeah. And I think you could say this is a guy who does his homework in a big way in order to add consistent and deep layers and details to his performance, to his performances, even in ways that are not going to be immediately telegraphed and just sort of deepen the character and the world. I mean, it's not, this isn't so much true with American Psycho, where, as you said, he's pretty much front and center and larger than life all the time. But even when he's in these more supporting roles, I think he is just operating layers deep in a way that makes him very rewatchable as an actor. Yeah. And I think it is what's impressive is that it does feel so well researched. Like I feel like he has such a strong handle on Laurie that even when Laurie isn't the focus, you know what he's going through. But on the other hand, it also feels so spontaneous. Like in a way I think I'd be curious to know like if on different takes they always did the hand that handshake moment the same way and that was something he had, you know, carefully rehearsed or if that is spontaneous, it feels spontaneous to me and I think maybe even more so or I guess the best parts of this Little Women adaptation are the parts that feel like they're all just playing around and it wasn't like a preset, you know, little thing that they're going to do. And I think he is really good at that kind of stuff. You mean when he does his little, he does that little thing with the book in front of his face and he throws his finger on it. Did you swoon when that happened the first time? No, that is easily my most used gif <laughs> on Twitter. I love that little scene. Has Meg misplaced a glove? Yeah, his little things. And who knows, maybe he did that every take and it's, you know, that worked and so they kept it. Or maybe he just did it once and it was perfect. But I do think that, there, yeah, his little, like, business he gives himself. I always think that, like, the way to make an actor better is just give them a prop mm-hmm. because they'll just do something interesting with it. Yeah. And he does, especially in this, it's like, ooh, I'm going to have a flask in this scene and a book in this scene. And I'm always going to kind of have a – and that little hat when he has a – when they invite him into the little performance troupe and they put the hat on him. And he, yes. I don't know. There's just such cute business with the hat. Yeah. He does that sweet, dopey, happy face that you get to see him do so rarely in his. I know. Well, that's nice, too. And this yeah. is what's nice about this early phase of his career. It's just like there's just such light, nice little boys he's playing, you know, like Newsies, like Jack Kelly, ultimate yeah. hero of the working class, you know. Yeah. Um, and Lori, like just such a nice little boy. And I, I always want Christian to sort of find a way to bring this into his adult roles. But I think in many ways, going back to that idea of his career being reactionary, I think because he's typecast this way for so long, he like really rejects that completely and goes into the like dark, dark, dark method acting. Like, I don't want to be this pretty boy thing. You certainly could say there's a, there's a crop of tortured men that he plays. I know. and But then th- I guess that also is what makes Laurie compelling, is that there is a little bit of that tortured thing that yes. I think is different. I also really like Timothy Chalamet. I always call him Timmy in my mind. Um, I really like- Little Timmy Chalamet. Little Timmy. Little Timmy's performance in the 2019 version. But I think- that darkness is not quite there. Like, he'll play like, oh, Lori's off getting drunk and there's, you know, a sense that he's going to, in a different way, fall off the rails. But he just, it feels like such a younger performance to me. Yeah. And the movie is maybe a little bit more distanced, especially during the proposal. The movie's a little bit more distanced from that than 
the 94 version is because of the way the movie, the Greta Gerwig one plays around with time. It's sort of like, we know that isn't going to go well. And so we're a little more, we can like look at these characters and be like, this is kind of funny. Like this is sad, but it's also a little bit funny. Yeah. That scene. Yeah. There's a part where Timothy Chalamet is like, uh, you know, I did everything you wanted. I gave up billiards and uh, I didn't want to, but it's fine. I'm happy. Like, it's not a problem. And like, the, I like laugh during that scene. Whereas in this one, in the 94 Christian Bale, Wine on a Writer one, like that, I feel more, a little more emotionally invested in the proposal slash rejection. Scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tense scene. It's tough seeing them just, just lean on that fence there and that gorgeous, also such a, such a gorgeous, lush movie they have. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh that's tough stuff. Emily will not, my partner Emily, who will be referenced frequently in this, refused to let me watch this movie with my with my headphones out, you know, or on the big screen mm. in our place because she, and she, did, she, she wouldn't see the 2019 one. She was so traumatized by the experience of reading that rejected Whoa. proposal. Yeah. She will basically never forgive Louisa May Alcott <laughs> for- her, Which is not an uncommon her little perverse opinion decision. of yeah. Little Women. Yeah, there was actually a really sweet. Um, so the the way that Christian gets attached to this film is he is actually really really good friends with Winona Ryder, Aww. and later goes on the the lady that Christian married circa two thousand is, and is still married to. They met because she was Winona Ryder's assistant. So the, he's she's kind of like a big part of his life. Oh. So they are really, really good friends. Um, I had a couple quotes that I pulled. So the director said, because Wynonna and Christian were friends, Joe and Lori's kiss was powerful, but awkward at the same time. And that somebody asked Wynonna Ryder about this phenomenon of people just like not forgiving Joe slash Louise May Alcott for not having them get together. And Wynonna said, I think this was a huge testament to Christian's performance and how he captured something that was really complicated. He and I were very, very close. We had kind of that Joe and Lori dynamic, but without romance or unspoken feelings. These quotes are from Ashley Spencer's 2019 New York Times oral history of this 94 adaptation, which is really good. I would recommend that people that are curious more about this movie. But I do think you feel that, that their connection feels so genuine yeah that it is you're like just marry him like this you should just marry this man like this is a good <laughs> you should do this joe this would be good for everyone yeah yeah they do they adapt that that sort of painful paradox well so good i love winona I, I, are you a where are you on winona she's a little polarizing where am i on winona i think i'm pro she's not someone i have strong feelings about i feel like she yeah. was not I guess I'm trying to think of things I would have watched. I didn't watch Heather's till later in life. Stranger Things. Stranger Things I saw her in. I'm trying to think like in childhood. Like I, I'm sure I saw Edward Scissorhands. I think I just didn't have strong opinions on her until recently. And now I'm totally pro like the Winona Sans and everyone being on board with her again. <laughs> yes. Yes. Maybe just because again, she feels like someone who's been unfairly maligned. For sure. Compared to what other people don't get maligned for yeah um yeah so she we should mention she got an oscar nomination for this performance oh nice which again i think is a lovely performance from her it's a very like i don't know again as with american psycho there could be a whole 30 minutes of this podcast where i just quote lines that i like but i think her her joe is very very endearing i think part of the problem that is maybe inherent in the book or maybe especially inherent in the adaptation choices is that 
the you have to sell the the Amy Laurie romance after the you know investing in a different romance, which is a hard shift to make personally. And this is where Emily and I disagree. I think the book does this really well. I think that the chapters where Laurie and Amy are fall, falling in love are some of the like most lovely chapters in the book. And a lot of people sort of think that Louisa May Alcott sort of had Joe end up with Bear and had her not end up with Laurie is sort of like a fuck you to all the readers that were really wanting Joe and Laurie to get together. Like there's a, that it's often sold that way. But to me, I'm like the sweetness with which she wrote this love story. That is not the energy of someone that's like, well, screw you readers. I'm going to give you something you're unhappy with. It's like, and and no, very few adaptations. The, The 2019 version comes closest to this, but I think very few give the same emphasis on the Amy Laurie relationship. Certainly in this 94 version, it's like you get one scene to establish that Laurie's going off the rails and Amy's going to pull them together. And then all of a sudden it's like, and we're in love and we're married. And that's a happy ending. It's a tough adaptation paradox because the 94 one chooses to give you young Amy, which I think is really key to the early one and as as you said i think kirsten dunce is phenomenal in this she's, she's so good so funny yes she's she's really fantastic uh so then she it, should have gotten an oscar for this an oscar nomination I, as well i, I think i could see that i could see that she's so good but then there's no two ways about it having her like sit in the carriage and lean on Lori is like you're like who that's an age difference he's yeah 20. Well, i do like that scene though this is the scene where they're dropping amy off at um aunt marches because beth has scarlet fever they have to get out of the house and Lori takes her well here's something i love about this performance in general i think and again this is to christian's credit because it's not so much in the script but he has a very distinct relationship with each of the four girls right like his dynamic with joe is different than his dynamic with meg we don't get a ton of his dynamic with beth but there's one scene where they're they're surprising her with the piano and she walks into the room and she's freaked out because there's so many people there and he immediately like understands what's happening and he's like oh let me introduce you to my two friends and then they'll feel less scary to you and then you'll be comfortable that i'm like oh laurie's just such a good person and then that scene with amy which yes is creepy in the sense that i mean they're obviously they're not playing it as like a love story then it is like a brotherly dynamic yeah but I love how he takes her concerns so seriously. Like, everything yes. Amy is saying is kind of ridiculous. So she's like, oh, my God. Like, instead of being like, my sister might die, she's like, what if I die and I'll never have been kissed? And he, like, instead of, like, laughing at her or belittling her, he's, like, so sweet. And I don't know. It's just, like, I really, really like that scene. And I like, to me, I sort of like some of the weirdness of Little Women. Like, oh, it's weird that you, like, were in love with this girl and then you married her sister. And it's sort of weird that you knew this girl when she was a little girl. But, like, that's the sort of shit that happens in life. Like, people knew people at different ages and they meet later down the road and then, oh, we're both adults. So it's a whole different dynamic. And I like that. I like when adaptations lean into the weirdness of the interpersonal dynamics. Sort of messiness that just exists in mm-hmm. your, in our weird, non-well-made plays, that in, in our lives that aren't well-made plays. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do like I I I am remembering fondly that little mannerism where she's talking about leave leave Meg my little green box and leave leave yeah. Joe my ring and he he says I will make sure that I do that. Yeah, that's really, that's really sweet. His it's tough then that we have Samantha Mathis come in. Samantha former is this, is of this, American Psycho is this Dorcia? Yeah. yeah, truly. Uh, like what I was like, oh, we we pulled a nice little connection there. So she p- plays the woman he has an affair with in American Psycho. They were earlier paired here. She plays 
adult Amy. And the funniest thing is that the second choice for adult Amy was Reese Witherspoon, who then <gasps> plays his uh, fiance in American Psycho. So wow. either way, there was going to be an American Psycho connection yeah, there. How about that? Yeah, I'm not getting a ton out of her in this movie. I like her no. in American Psycho. I don't love her in this. I don't know much about this actor. I don't know what happened to her. I mean, I know what happened to her. There aren't rules for women. So you yeah. know, for, for every 10 who appear in movies in their 20s, only only two will like make are it into their continue. 30s, are allowed yeah. to continue into their into their 30s. But Yeah, uh, it's yeah. hard. I think adult, Amy makes the biggest shift sort of off screen. Usually most adaptations do a little bit of a jump. When mm-hmm. Meg's getting married, the book does the jump. And it's sort of like kid Amy is just this little brat, like in a fun way. But like, you know, her main thing is being a, a little bit of a brat. And then adult Amy is becomes off screen becomes like the kindest gentle woman in the best sense of the word and you're like well okay this is just a whole nother character now so it's sort of hard to invest in in the same way and i think that makes it hard for this adaptation to make her feel like she's even the same character yeah as you say it's like different adaptations get different things Florence Pugh is a great adult amy but then she doesn't really function as a child in the same way Yeah. yeah yeah i do think that's the problem there although i like the way that that version tackles the the Lori, Amy relationship of it all. Although I don't like that version makes it, they make it so that Amy has been in love with Lori her whole life. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that choice. I like that it comes as, I think it makes it less creepy that it comes as a surprise to both of them. Mm-hmm. That as adults, they conceptualize each other differently. So to me, that was a mistake. But for the most part, I enjoy that pairing there. Um, okay. Is there anything else we need to cover? I mean, obviously, we I could talk about this movie for 17 more hours but uh, i guess of christian in particular do you like the thin goatee <laughs> yeah the goatee is such a choice i like it as a i really like his costuming in that scene like mm-hmm. evil he's like an evil dandy like <laughs> you know what i mean like he should be like an importance of being earnest you know running around in his little european clothes um yeah the goatee is a choice i like that when then at the end he becomes nice he like shaves it into a mustache and you're like now he's an adult but a nice adult Mm -hmm. so yeah uh aunt march doesn't like the thin goatee and neither do i oh my god that is such a funny what does he say he's like he's like you're looking well well." she says Mm -hmm. i wish i could say the same for you yeah i wish i could (laughs) say the same for you my boy yeah i love aunt march yeah i just she's so appalling in this i'll be curious i actually would love to hear from other people if they think I am crazy for <laughs> putting this as one of my top five Christian Bale performances. I don't know if I'm, again, if I'm too influenced by the nostalgia. I think I just appreciate when an actor can do a lot with a little. To me, that's almost more impressive than being able to do a lot with a lot. Mm-hmm. And so this is one I just always return to. And I love Lori as a character. I respect that. If you think we're crazy, tweet at us at rollcalling yeah. on twitter.com. Heck Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So thoughts that's our thoughts on Little Women. We'll be back someday with more adaptations and more thoughts because clearly I have them. But after this, Christian kind of really sticks with this like young romantic lead, pretty boy mode for the rest of the 90s. He actually has a small voice role in Disney's animated Pocahontas movie. Oh yeah. As I think he's like the the guy that gets he like almost gets shot or he gets shot. It's been a long time since I've seen Pocahontas. He shoots he's, he shoots Cocoa. Oh, oh shoot. He wears Dang. he wears a beret. But he's he's like the nice He's kid. nice. Yeah, yeah. He's the nice little one. Yeah, but how nice could um, he be? Maybe. He's in he's in an adaptation nineteen ninety nine adaptation of Midsummer Night's Dream, playing Demetrius. 
Um, one movie I really want to shout out from this period is a ton- Todd Haynes movie called Velvet Goldmine, which is this like very stylish musical fantasy salute to glam rock that I think, again, is such an endearing Christian Bale performance. If we were ju- if we were doing like 10 movies of his, I would absolutely put that on the list. It's another one that he's sort of playing like a younger version of a character and a slightly older version. And I think he does that really well. So if you haven't seen that movie, I would highly recommend checking it out have you ever seen velvet goldmine no i have now you make i'll me introduce to. it to you sometime yeah i think you would get a kick out of it it's very strange um but i think very cool but it's really not until american psycho which we talked about last week that we sort of launch christian into the next phase of his career and next week we are going to look at how after a couple years of sort of being lost in the woods he's eventually able to capitalize on that leading man clout and become a true household name with his starring turn as batman in 24 24- 2005s, that's how you say that year. In 2005's Batman Begins, a movie that I suspect might be Ned's Little Women in terms of how much there is to talk about. <laughs> oh, you, you said it. You're absolutely correct about that. So so tune back in for that. We will have many, many thoughts on Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until then, Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter at RollCalling or email us RollCalling at gmail.com. And that is Roll, R-O-L-E. Next week, we'll be back to talk all things Batman Begins. Until then, stay safe and take your breakfast over to the Hummels.